Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In this podcast, we discuss Borough's defeat to Stoke, how to stop the rot. We answer your podcast questions and we preview Wednesday night's game against Norwich. You're listening to the Borough Breakdown podcast and this is all your Borough Match Day chatter in a pod. Support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the area. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Hello and welcome back to the Borough Breakdown podcast. Michael Carrickside lost 2-0 at the Bet365 Stadium, courtesy of goals from Beijing Ho and former Borough Loney Lewis Baker. It leaves Borough 14th in the table with just one win from their last seven matches. I'm joined by Tom and Matt for this one and usually we discuss our key takeouts from the game. I'm going to change it up a little bit this week because I want to ask you how you're feeling. There's a lot of ill feeling, shall I put it that way, at Borough at the moment, given matters on and off the pitch. So I kind of just want to gauge where your emotions are at. So, Tom, do you want to kick us off? How are you feeling about Millsborough right now? Just drained, to be honest. I, I wish I could say I was surprised by that yesterday, but I think I actually accurately predicted the scoreline on last week's pod. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one you could have seen coming ever since we had that voice note last week where... And said, oh, we've not won in forever and stuff. I'm like, yeah, we'll be probably doing you a favour next week. <laughs> you know, we've got Norwich on, on Wednesday. I'm not even looking forward to going to the Riverside. And it, it's been the case for for quite a few home matches now. Cue the Facebook comments if we clip this, because <laughs> don't like it, don't go. No, I paid for a season ticket. I'm still going to go and be Classic. miserable. But, yeah, it's... It's just so frustrating to watch at the moment. We're making the same mistakes time after time, whether that's the players on the pitch or all the coaching staff, and we're just not looking likely that we're we're doing anything to fix it. There were a couple of welcome changes yesterday. We're like they laugh coming back in, Dieng back in goal, which we're really advocating for last week, but they they can't help you know players passing it five yards behind each other in the middle of the pitch, or Barlasser and O'Brien running into each other, or you know, anything like that. There's so many basics at the moment that are going wrong. And I just feel like when it gets to this point and the the management staff are, are making the same mistakes to, to the point where, you know, even the fans can see that it's wrong and see an easy solution to it. In previous managers, when it's got to that point, I've just felt like they're at the light, end of the life cycle, but it doesn't feel like that with... With Carrick at the moment, maybe that's because of the new project that we're, we've been pushing for the last couple of years. But yeah, it get, gets to that point. It's so frustrating to watch. And it, it's just, it's even more frustrating, like I say, when you sat in the fans knowing that it's very obvious changes that you, you can make to, 
to resolve it and they're just not being done. Matt, what are you feeling at the moment? Well, I echo everything Tom's just said, completely uh, sick and tired of going around in the same never-ending cycle of Borough gifting opposition sides, stupid goals, good results when... We're not we're not getting beat by sides, we're beating ourselves and we're not having to be creatively torn open or you know, we're not having to be well beat at the moment. It's the same story every single game. It is just an endless cycle, and you'd like to think that there'd be some end in sight or there'd be some signs that we were finding a fix or, or trying to, you know, find our way out of it, and there just isn't at the moment. And you do kind of start to think, well, where is this gonna end? What is gonna break this cycle? But I think for me as well as been frustrated and sick and tired and drained, as Tom said, for large parts of this season. A couple of weeks ago, I kind of entered the apathy stage where I just started feeling numb towards everything that was happening. You know, the last few weeks, if Borough conceded, I, I shook my shoulders. I was like, yeah, we've seen this story a thousand times, whatever. Even if we scored, I'd be, well, okay, whatever. It's not going to make much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. And yet yesterday was the first time I think I went out of the apathy stage and I actually stepped into quite angry and quite annoyed and a little bit worried as well because I know we're going to get into it, but we're starting to look over our shoulder and for us to be in that position, given where we were mid-January, is very, very alarming. So I echo everything Tom said, added to that a little bit of concern and, and quite a bit of worry at the moment. <laughs> I observed a lot of the opinion after the game yesterday and worry came up quite a lot and you mentioned it there, Matt. I can understand it because we're six points off the bottom three and it doesn't look like Borough are anywhere near getting a point, never mind a win. Like I I can't see where our next win comes from. Such is our really, really poor level of performance at the moment and nothing seems to look like it's going to change anytime soon. But I personally don't think that we're in immediate trouble, if that makes sense. I don't really subscribe to that just yet, although I can understand the anxieties. So my emotions aren't of worry, they're of infuriation, because again, like we've mentioned, we're seeing the same thing over and over again. And I tweeted it yesterday. I don't think that I've experienced as frustrating a season as this one because like in previous seasons, like for example, under Tony Pulis, where we went, we got into the playoffs and the next season we missed out there was the expectation that we'd miss out and there was the expectation that like post Adama, we wouldn't be as good. We wouldn't have that. I mean, we were never really that great to watch under Tony Pulis, but Adama was the one that made it okay overall. You know, he was the one that he was the shining light of that really dim, dingy sort of side. But this season comparing it and, and following on from last season, and I know that people get triggered when we talk about last season, but I kind of have to in this discussion it has honestly been immeasurably disappointing. And I think the reason for it is because I went into this season with so much optimism and it was really down to Michael Carrick. And yet right now he he's doing things that just aren't working. There's a lot of swings and there's a lot of misses. So it's so frustrating to watch us. I am coming back from the Borough games feeling so, so frustrated, but there's a tinge of anger there. So that's why I probably would say infuriation as well. Me and Matt were talking just before we went live here and for the annual table this year in 2024, only Rotherham have picked up less points than Borough. Borough have picked up eight points from the last nine games. So funnily enough, 
it was actually Stoke that were second bottom before yesterday's game. And of course, we gave them, we gifted them the three points. So let's talk about that now. Tom, I'm going to start with you with this one. What were your assessments of the game yesterday at the Bet365? Because <laughs> repeat from last week, right? I was going to say, in a word, shite. <clears throat> it, yeah, it was very, very similar to, to last week. Again, players making very basic mistakes. And I was getting quite annoyed yesterday at the fact that, and, and I know we we obviously have to try and stick with our our style of play. Carrick has those principles. He said after the match, like we're not worrying to the point that we're going to abandon those or anything. But we're trying one touch football and stuff like that, where no one's in the right position. We, I, I noted a couple of times. I think it was Clark and Thomas playing out from the back. They weren't passing it to anyone in particular. It was just in the general area of where they hoped someone would be, and there was no one there. They were all like over the other side of the pitch, whether or not they were expecting like a, a, a switch ball or something. I don't know, but I think it's it. You know, looking at yesterday, like I said, very basic mistakes, but maybe we should be concentrating on the basics right now rather than trying to play, you know, fancy one-touch football and, and break defences and stuff like that. I mean, what one thing I've noted a lot in recent games, our off-the-ball movement is absolutely horrendous at the moment. Someone will have the ball, whether it be Clark, Van Den Berg. I think Van Den Berg actually pointed it out at one point later on in the game yesterday when he had the ball had his foot on top of the ball and no one was moving. And he's kind of like gesturing as if to say, who am I supposed to give this to? Absolutely nobody's moving. And in, in, in terms of like our off-the-ball movement when we're attacking, like I say, we're trying one-touch football, but it's always either about five yards ahead of someone or five yards behind someone. And we're, we're trying to do all this, whereas Stoke, you know, they're, they're coming into this game, haven't won in ages. They're having to get a rallying cry from Jonathan Walters to, to make noise and and stuff like that. And as, as we uh, we heard from, from the voice note last week, they were really hoping we were going to do them a favour. And I was like, well, probably <laughs> will do. Yeah. And we just did. Like, we had a couple of chances in the first half. But I mean, that second half was horrendous. As your halves of football go this season, that's got to be up there, if not higher than Sheffield Wednesday, because we just never looked likely to do anything. And if you're looking, if you're a neutral who's just turned, tuned into that game for the second half, and you're looking at those two teams, we look like the team who haven't won in, in years and is occupying the spot in the bottom three at the moment. The, the confidence that Stoke will probably take from that game now you know, that, that's going to be a hell of a boost to them. But it, it could be catastrophic to us that, you know, we, we've just gone to a place like that and rolled over and, and, and gave them the points, really. It was it was just so frustrating to watch. Like I say, basic mistakes week after week at the moment. And considering when Carrick came in last season, within that first week before the Preston game, we're getting clips out on social media where he's pretty much teaching the midfielders how to play football and stuff like that. Like, what happened to that? Because we look like 11 players at the moment who have never played together when we step out onto the pitch. And as, as a fan, it's just infuriating to watch and nothing sum that up more than the games in the last two weeks. Matt? Yeah, I mean, how would you follow that? Tom's hit the nail on the head. I'd, I'd probably put two two words ahead of shite and I'd say same old, <laughs> same old shite every single week. I mean... Like Tom, I, I wasn't surprised at all. I think I even put some on Twitter leading up to the game. I retweeted, I can't remember whose tweet it was. They reeled off 
the issues that Stoke have had, technical directors sacked, Schumacher's has probably got this game to save his job. And I just sort of flippantly retweeted it and went, that's Stoke 2, Middlesbrough nil then. I should have put a bet on. Uh, because it, we are just, we are unbearably predictable in the worst way. And I think that's the frustrating thing from us fans. We, we know going to a place like this against the team in the situation they're in, we know exactly what sort of performance Borough are going to put in. And it, we, Tom made a good point about us just getting the basics right. I think we so many so many times this season we've been beaten by sides who haven't looked anywhere near great. I think to when we went away to, to Preston, I think when we played Plymouth. But they're sides that get the basics right. You know, they get the fundamentals right and they work from there. And I think until we get the basics right, we... I, I just I just see us regressing at the moment. I just don't know where the, the Michael Carrick side was. Of even at the start of this season, you know, at the start of the season, you could say, well, uh, you know, at least we were still quite good to watch. We were creative. We were criminal of not finishing chances. But we've regressed from that. You know, we're not even fun to watch. We're not even creative. And now the big concern for me, especially in that second half, was the lack of bite or invention to get back into the game. I think he did allude to it in his, his Portsmouth interview, actually. And I'm glad he did because... I think the first goal was so important yesterday. You know, if we got that first goal, their crowd would have absolutely turned and it would have gotten really ugly for them. And then the game was there for Borough's taken. But you just knew we weren't going to, you know, lay down our authority on the game, damp down our authority, get our first goal and say, right, this is our game. You know, we don't care about your home crowd, your rallying cry. We're going we're gonna to take this thing out of it and boss this game. We never had any control over it. You know, we had a few chances to start with. They had a few chances to start with. But as soon as, and I think you might have said this on Teasdainer as well, as soon as they scored that first goal, that was it for me. I just didn't ever see us getting back into the game. And the second half was a complete, it was a complete example of that. I, I thought the second half was... It was the first time I looked at this Borough side and I thought, if we are in trouble, or if we get dragged into trouble and our backs are up against it, we just looked like we had absolutely no answer. You know, we looked finished in that second half. There was no one off the bench who was coming on. There was no confidence that I had from the coach that he was going to pull something out of the bag that was going to change anything. I was just sat there in the second half accepting that we were going to get beat and we were going to do absolutely nothing to stop it. So, yeah, yesterday was an absolute shambles. It's more of the same... But I will say I was particularly a little bit more concerned by the lack of fight and the lack of an attempt to get back into the game second half. That was a that was a real concern for me, I think. Yeah, I think regression is probably the key word from from what you said there. It does feel like Borat are going backwards, to be honest. And I made some observations during the game yesterday. So Carrick did make changes, but this is the thing. Like he's making tweaks and they're just not working, they're not paying off. So I noticed that Luke Thomas was quite advanced. He was occupying space beyond the halfway line, whoop de whoop. It was Luke Ayling that was the one that was tucking inside to create back three this time. So role reversal from the Plymouth game. So we were building out with a 3-2-4-1 you can see it was a 3-2-5 we had Clark, Rav and Ailing making up the back three um, O'Brien and Barlasa in front and then Force, McGree, Greenwood and Thomas were just slightly deeper than Latte Laugh and Borough were going more direct in the first half and I think that was because one Dieng's distribution lends itself to that he's got better distribution than Glover I think his accuracy with long balls is far better and we had Luke Thomas holding that width on the left hand side being an outlet like being honest, I think he's crap. But at least he was being an outlet on that left-hand side, which was something. And three, we had the option to stretch the game centrally too with Latte Laugh back into the side. The issues, however, 
is that a lot of the time when we got him behind, it was Latte Lath and he was forced wide. Ideally, you'd want him in behind more central to the goalkeeper. And I didn't really see a concerted effort from his teammates to to help him to get into the box and, and to help him. And I think that was because they were so far behind the player. Like if you look at our midfield, if you look at O'Brien and Vailasa, they're like two yards in front of the back line. So that for me is an issue. I think they need to get higher at the pitch. And on the point of effort, I don't usually like to talk about effort because it's it's one of those cliches that gets aimed at a team when results aren't going well. But there was a phase of play, and maybe I'm just honing in and hyper-focusing on this, but it was in the second half. It, it was very back and forth. It was quite open at this point. Stoke counted on us. We won the ball in midfield. They committed a lot of bodies up front. We had the opportunity to counter on them. And instead, McGree had it. He came inside in the, I think it was in the centre circle, and we just ambled. There was absolutely no effort from the players to to bust a gut to get forward. We could have countered their counter. They had men forward, and we just ambled, and we ended up playing it back to the defence. And it didn't even create an attack. That really irked me, and it was really symbolic of the game. I think the other issues that our passing was abysmal, and Tom mentioned it earlier, five-yard balls getting intercepted, passing to feet instead of into space. We didn't put Stoke under any significant pressure, any pressure at all, actually, in the second half, because we couldn't hold on to the ball. We couldn't hold on to the ball long enough to even attempt an attack. So it was yet another iteration of Borough being shite, <laughs> and... I was saying to Matt before we started recording that every single game I'm thinking that's one of the worst performances of the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if on Wednesday night I'm thinking the exact same thing after having thought it yesterday. So it's, again, going back to the kind of feeling, it's infuriating. But Tom, Stoke didn't look particularly confident in the early stages. But why do you think Borough couldn't take advantage of that? I think, again, just... Doing the basics wrong. I, I, we, on regards to the the one touch football that I mentioned before, I don't know if this is still us kind of thinking that we're maybe better than we are, or we were just going to turn up there and and just walk all over them or something. But it's clear that we're not doing basics right. So when we're trying to do fancy stuff like that, it's it like that's not coming off either. I feel like that can probably get in players' heads quite a bit. I know personally, you know, even at a low level, like playing seven aside, like I do, if I'm constantly playing passes to someone who's never there, I'm going to get more and more wound up. And I feel like you could maybe see that in a few of the players yesterday that because things weren't coming off, they were getting more and more wound up. And that's only going to play into, into Stoke's hands. I think, like you said earlier, if if we'd have managed to get that first goal, you know, there was a point where Latte-Laff had taken it round the goalkeeper, had it cleared off the line. To be fair, it was a very awkward angle for, for him to score at. It was good for him to get it on target, and it's probably better that he didn't go for power because he'd probably hit the side net in, or, you know, it, it could have gone anywhere. He went for placement, was on target, got cleared off the line. That goes in, completely different game. But... It didn't, and then we're looking at a first half where we're consistently making mistakes, and I don't know what was said at half-time, but we come out and, and, and we don't even look to have any fight in us. But, you know, we, we've all kind of alluded to it, especially over the last couple of weeks. That first goal goes in from Stoke, and we just don't believe that we're going to get back into it, and it's it's such a, a far cry from, from last season. 
again, talking about last season, but it, it has to be done for for this example. It looked like Carrick had brought that kind of mindset to, to the team where we go a goal down and it's like, okay, we can sort this and then we'll, we'll come back and win it. This year is such a such a change from that. We go a goal down, it doesn't look like we're, we're ever going to do it. So, yeah, I, I think the, the first half, the longer it went on, the more it played into Stoke's hands. Ideally, we needed to score early on in that. We score early on in that. We could have had a few, and that would have done wonders for us. And instead, we're, we're looking at this instead. It's pretty bad that our only shot on target came in the 94th minute yesterday. And coupled with the fact that we didn't have a single shot on target against Plymouth as well, we looked toothless up front and we look so easy to get at, at the back and that is not a good recipe really and I'll go back to what I mentioned at the beginning of this episode about that I'm not worried actually the more that I'm thinking about it the more reason I probably should be worried because as we've said we're going backwards we look a mess at the back we look toothless and hopeless up front Carrick isn't getting anywhere near what he probably should out of these players I know we have injuries but still I, I still think that you know this is a this is a side that should be about, in my opinion, 7th to 10th and now we're 14th and we're looking behind us. Like, he's not developing the players any better. He tweaks things, doesn't get them right and then he's sometimes too stubborn to even tweak things. So, it's. I mean, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at the moment. But Matt, the first goal, Ailing makes a complete hash of it, doesn't he? He misjudges a die, gets muscled off the ball and ends up on the deck. Based on his recent performances, should Ailing be dropped and should Dyke still come in for him? Yeah, I think so. I don't I don't see any reason why not. I mean that that goal yesterday was comedy. I mean it was embarrassing. It, 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 I said to you before we come on, you could play the Benny Hill theme over it and uh, you'd probably get a laugh <laughs> out of it. It was mm-hmm. the way that he misjudged the initial ball. And then to try and get back and then get all muscled and land on his stomach. I mean, it is absolutely, it's laughable and it's it's embarrassing, it really is. And if there was ever a sort of defensive calamitous piece of play that sums up where it's that, because it was literally just a harmless diagonal from their right-hand side. And we've got plenty of players over there who should deal with it. And to misjudge a header and then put the challenge in like he did. And again, it's another uncontested shot from the edge of the area like we've seen many times this season. Finds its way into the back of the net. So I don't think there's any harm in in ailing being dropped and it's a bit of a shame really because uh when he first come in I think for the first few initial games he looked like a decent loan signing and you thought okay he's going to be a good stopgap and we'd heard a few things from other you know some Leeds fans said he was finished and people questioned my wife they let him go in the first place but I thought you know what he'll he'll be a good stopgap between now and the end of the season but I don't know if it's his fitness or the, game, the number of games we're playing or whatever it is, but he just looks a little bit leggy. And I think whenever he advances up the right-hand side, I think teams could quite easily target that on the counter and, and get in behind. And I think his ability to get back in is questionable. But yesterday was just a terrible individual error. So I definitely would make a case to, to swap him out. I wouldn't say I'm exactly 100% convinced by Dykesdale either at the moment, but mm. I think we're in a position where yeah. we've just got to, we've just got to try new things and, when players are making errors like that, the confidence is going to be low. I think you take them out the firing line. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be all for Dyke still coming in against Norwich and, you know, see, see how he does. Hopefully he can maybe make that position his own. I think maybe that's why Carrick switched Ailing to be that third 
centre half and, and allow him to tuck in because he doesn't have the recovery pace to get back. And I will say, I have been a massive fan of Dyke Steel over the years. Like I got that Dutch flag for him. I mean, that's redundant now, although I can kind of say that it's for Ralph Vandenberg. I'll just pretend that I bought it for him way ahead of schedule. But I think since he had that injury pre-season, he has looked an absolute shadow of the player that he has been at Borough. Like he's looked notably worse. However, I think just because he does have that recovery pace, I would put him in. I'm not sure he'd be as big an upgrade as people would maybe predict him to be, but just for the purposes of if we do get counted on, we've got somebody there that can maybe stem that wave against us. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I don't think that any of the loan players have really shone for us. In fact, Greenwood, I was reading the the player ratings from Dom Sean and Craig Johns yesterday, so the Northern Echo and the Gazette both said the exact same word, anonymous. That is what his career has been for Borough Bar, obviously the goals, but take the goals out, Greenwood is completely anonymous. Luke Thomas is rubbish. Like I I can't I can't be anything other than honest with him. I I think he's won a competition to be here. Who else have we got? Ailing's started well, has tailed off, looks poor. O'Brien, I do like him, but I think it's based on what I've seen of him before he was at Middlesbrough. So honestly, if all the loan players went back to their parent clubs yesterday, I don't think I'd be that bothered. But Tom, 63 minutes, England and Azaz came on for Thomas and Greenwood. Should we have made those changes a bit earlier? Well... I think everyone can guess what's coming based on what I said last week. But, uh, yeah, Luke Thomas, that change should have been made before the game. Um, yeah. there's, there's no there's no reason for him to be starting over Engel. And especially, you know, how we've changed things yesterday so that Thomas was playing in a more advanced position. That's, you know, something Engel could do. So, you know, actually, Matt made a good point. I can't remember if this was on Twitter or in our chat or something yesterday, but... You, you look at the two players that that came off in Thomas and Greenwood, both loan players, and then our players both came on, Engel and Azaz. We're supposed to be developing our players, and we we just ended up, you know, playing playing loan players yesterday who made very little difference or you know a bad difference in in the case of uh, Thomas, and bringing our players on in the sixty third minute. For me, if you're going to make that that change at any point, make it at half time. We're 1-0 down at that point. You make a statement by bringing these players on and you give them a full half to to sort things out. But we, we've stuck with you know two players who were either anonymous or poor and left them on for another 20 minutes or so after half-time before deciding to make that change. Yeah, I, I think to, to agree with your point just before that question, Dana, if, if they were sent back to their parent clubs yesterday... I wouldn't be asked in the slightest because they, they make very little difference to us, in my opinion. Tom, don't you think it's weird that we've signed players from like on loan from championship clubs? Because, you know, if it was a Premier League side, you could understand it. But if they're not good enough for a championship side, right? And I know that Leicester and Leeds are like top of the class when it comes to the championship, then it's kind of like, what are we expecting? What are, What is Borough's recruitment team expecting if you've got somebody that, isn't deemed good enough for Leicester? Isn't deemed good enough for Leeds? I don't get it. I've been thinking the same thing for ages, uh, specifically about Greenwood, because yeah. he he was he was keeping people out of the side for a while, and I'm like, I really don't get this. Like he, I think, think for a while he lived off the performances against Sunderland and Leicester, 
but he's not. He was deemed not good enough to play for Leeds this season in the Championship. So why would he be good enough for us? In Luke mm-hmm. Thomas, I can only imagine he was the only left back available uh, in in January uh, who plays a, a Championship level. But it's still no excuse to be picking him over Engel because um, he's done absolutely nothing to warrant that. Yeah, I'd I'd agree completely with that. I feel like you know, look, look, looking at last year when we brought in the likes of like Archer and uh, and Ramsey, I do wonder if we're staying quite stringent on FFP this season, and and you know maybe saving money for for next year or something like that. So we've had to go with, well, being realistic, lower than Championship level signings. But yeah, it's it's a bit confusing to me, and it, it's confusing as to why they're getting the team over some of the players that we're supposed to be developing for our future when realistically both of these are probably going to go back to their parent clubs who are both looking at promotion and probably going to be sent back out or sold. Yeah, I think it's one thing not being good enough for a Premier League side and being loaned out. And it's another thing not being good enough for a Championship side of being loaned out. But yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Matt, it's another game where Bora have finished with significantly higher possession, 62% in this game. But of course, we still come away without anything. Is this is the, the majority of possession in games actually more of a negative than a positive? I think it's... I don't know if it's indifferent, but it's it's it simply isn't making a difference in games. It's not. I've never seen a side who have so much of the ball and yet do so little with it. You know, Tom alluded to it earlier. Our off the ball movements really, really poor. We seem like we're just eleven statues just passing the ball to each other round and round and round. And it, it's not a. I don't think it's a not not necessarily a style that's not effective anymore, but. It is frustrating when you're seeing us come up against sides who continually have much less of the ball than us, and yet they seem to be a lot more creative. I think Plymouth was a big example. I think they may have had 22 shots on goal, 11 on target, or something ridiculous when we played them at home. Um, And yet they had far less of the ball, and it just goes to show how effective you can be without possession. And that maybe is a a negative sign on how ineffective we are with possession. So... I am all for Borough having the ball and I am all for watching a team who who dictate play and dominate the ball. But when we're not doing anything with it, it is incredibly frustrating. And I think a lot of that does come down to what we're doing off the ball. And yeah, as, as you say, it's just it's just not working at the moment. He needs to try and find a fix for it. He needs to try and get us creating chances again and at least trying to, trying to get us creating and, and getting goals because at the minute I don't see any 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 part of this Borough side that's particularly effective or working at the moment. There's not one part of the side I can pluck out that I think's working in a good functioning way at the moment. So yeah, Carrick's got to find a fix quickly because um, as you say, we're regressing at the moment and we're a shadow of the side we were even even at the start of this season. Mm. Well, the goal the question is how did Borough get out of this slump? And we did in our WhatsApp group, we did discuss our teams for the next game and they're both very similar 
I'm going to discuss it from my point of view. So I've gone for for this season's version of last season's setup. So it is a 4-2-3-1, but in practice it is more of a 3-2-5. Clark, Rav and Dykesteel I've got as the defensive three. Barlasa and O'Brien in midfield. Engel, very advanced, well past the halfway line. McGree coming inside, not fully, but into that space between the right back and the right centre half. Finnazaz as the number 10, force on the right, same as last season, and Latte Laugh up front. What this gives Borough is balance, width, and rotations. You've got the balance between having force as one of the outlets out wide and Engel as one of the outlets out wide as well but on the left it gives you the width obviously there with those two players and it gives you rotations because what I didn't see yesterday is whenever Thomas did have the ball there was no connection there was no connectivity there between him and Greenwood and whoever else it would have been Barlasser let's say midfield there was none of that so this setup it needs quickness it needs the quick release of passes it needs combination play what I've just said there what it lacked in the game yesterday and it needs space it needs players to find the spaces and create the spaces and the way that you'll create the spaces is through quickness we're at a far too laboured in possession it's very very sluggish and slow and it becomes predictable because of that if you combine as we've seen not only under Carrot Lassies but under Wilder as well you will create that space so that for me is what I want to see. We we don't necessarily need to change things up to the degree of playing three at the back, although I can understand why people are obviously vouching for that. We just need to try to maybe create a different version, as in a different version with different players of last season's setup, because I, th- I still think we can play that way. But Tom, you've put McNair in your midfield instead of Barlas. Do you just want to talk through your thoughts behind that? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was kind of inspired into this by uh, by listening to someone on the BBCT's phone, and which uh, you know is an awful way to start a, a sentence about <laughs> uh, about why I picked something. But it got me thinking because so- someone had uh, texted in and they said, you know, we're, we're too passive in midfield. We need, I think he said either like a cruncher or I can't remember what the other word was. But then brought up why did we sell Matt Crooks? And realistically, Matt Crooks <laughs> was never going to be the answer there because he was only ever played as like a striker or, um, you know, occasionally a 10, but you know, it, it, he was mainly a striker under Carrick, so he's never yeah. really going to be played there. McNair probably isn't going to be played there as as well, but going into that decision a little bit more, I was looking at something, I think it was Borough Stats posted on, on Twitter. They did a breakdown of Borough with and without Barlasa, and the loss rate in between the two of them is very, very similar, so... This isn't me saying he's the problem or anything like that, but I don't think him and O'Brien complement each other that well. And I think nothing sums that up more than, you know, both of them running into each other on a attempt to win a loose ball yesterday. Like they, they don't know where each other are, are going to be. And I think something that that we do miss a little bit in this tactic, and I'd like to see a bit more of, especially if we go into the summer. And, and try and buy for for this tactic again, is a more defensive midfielder. And that's the reason I'm putting McNair there. So it gives O'Brien the um, the freedom to to go forward and carry the ball like we've seen him doing. Barlasa, for me, doesn't do that a lot. And you look at why the tactic 
not not why the tactic worked last season, but who who was working in the tactic last season. Housen and Hackney as a, a midfield pairing can both carry the ball quite well. In the current pairing, O'Brien can do it, but Barlasa doesn't a lot. So that that's kind of got me thinking, what can we change there? Putting McNair in and dropping him back a little bit, like I say, it gives O'Brien the, the license to go forwards. But then if we lose the ball, then we're still covered at the back by four players if Engel's pushing forward. You've got McNair, Dykesteel, Clark and Vandenberg all there who should be able to stop any uh, potential counter-attacks. So within this system, that's what I'd like to see. And, and like I say, if, if we go into the summer, still in the championship, fingers crossed, and <laughs> we're, we're recruiting based on a style and formation like we did last year, I just want to see us bring in kind of a, a proper defensive midfielder who can help out at the back, help play it out from the back and 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 get it to, to our more attacking players who can carry it up the pitch. And I think there's a stopgap McNair can do that. I think one of the big problems that Borough have is that they've got a player as the first contact from distribution from the goalkeeper that wants time on the ball and that's Dan Barlasser and I really do like him and I liked him at Rotherham I liked him at Accrington and Stanley but he's too slow on the ball he's far too slow there was uh, when he turned yesterday on the edge of the box and ran into trouble I initially thought why is Dean playing that ball there well I'll hold my hands up and I'll say actually we do see that a lot because it'll be Dean to one of the midfielders and it's that first time ball around the corner to one of the centre-backs and then we release it back into midfield and we beat the press. Barlas can't beat the press and he can't beat the press because he's too slow on the ball. He wants that time and he just isn't afforded it. So I think that's a big sticking point. We need somebody like McGree, actually not McGree, obviously, because we don't want to play him that deep, but somebody that has the technical proficiency as McGree to take the ball on the half turn and cushion that first-time ball into a centre-half or into a midfielder, and then we can really get that. We could beat the press and we could get that quickness going. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I think Borough can do, and we've just discussed a few of them there. But should we move on? Should we discuss what everyone is, is asking us this week? Let's move on to podcast questions. We've got questions to talk about. You all know where to hit us up if you want to send us a question. We're on Twitter, Borough underscore Breakdown, Facebook, the Borough Breakdown podcast. We're on email, the Breakdown at hotmail.com. And we're on our Telegram chat. We have a Telegram chat, everyone who knew. Johnny doesn't mention it, but as I thought I'd mention it this week. There's however many people in there talking about Borough. We actually do talk about Borough as well, by the way. But uh, Jimmy Lee's asks a question. He says, how do we get harmony again? The fans are arguing with the fans. The fans are arguing with the club. The club are arguing with the fans. The fans are shouting at the players. For me, I don't see an end to this vitriol we are seeing, and it makes me sad. That is a mood because I don't like this disconnect we're seeing, but I can understand it. So, Tom, do you want to tackle that one? I wish I knew the answer, but I'm completely with Jimmy on this one because it, <laughs> it does seem to have started. I would say it started kind of quite gradually in, in January. We're not bringing in a striker. I think there were some kind of murmurs of discontent there, but people could accept it if we were uh, still continuing to get some results. Then we're not. Then we go out of the cup in spectacular fashion away at Chelsea. Then you've got the whole season ticket thing. 
and everything that's been going on regarding MSF, Red Faction and stuff in, in, in the last couple of weeks, we're awful on the pitch. And I, I think the the simple answer to calm things down a bit is win games, but it doesn't even look yeah. like we're likely to do that at any point soon. No. I say calm things down a bit. I don't think that's going to be the resolution to, to all our problems. I think it needs to be a concerted effort from quite a few levels of the club. It needs to be winning games. It needs to be more kind of outreach to the fans. Because early on in the season, I did think we were going to be getting better, uh, well, as as kind of like a link between the, the club and the fans. But this has really kind of, I would say, damaged it in, in the last uh, few weeks or so. So, like I say, it needs to be more more kind of outreach there. I wish I had an answer for that, but I'm not kind of like... Uh, PR specialist or anything like that. I'm sure, <laughs> sure a PR specialist could come in and have a lot better ideas than I would. But yeah, like I say, it, it needs to come from quite a few levels and it needs to start with winning games. Matt, Toja asks, has Carrick ever been under bigger pressure than now? I don't think so, no. Um, the only other period I can compare this to is at the start of the season where we were bottom of the league and we all recall that Sheffield Wednesday horror show um, where we generally look like the worst team in the league, but he still had time. And I think we all still accepted that it was a young squad and there was room to develop. And we assumed there would be progression within this team. The young players were going to get better. Carrick was naturally going to get better as a coach and just time itself would have just allowed us to to improve. But I think, as we say, we're, we're seeing that that's not the case. I don't see Carrick... I wouldn't say he's regressing as a manager, but he's not really learning. I don't see, I think he's still got a long, a long way to go, a lot more than maybe we thought at the start of the season. And I think, I think we would be a little naive to not assume that we could get dragged into something pretty serious if we're not careful. Now I will, I'll add the caveat that I think we're only six points from safety. I think in a week's time, this, this could be a completely, you know, short-term conversation that we, we we think, why were we even worried if we happen to beat Norwich and QPR? But equally, if we don't and we lose both, then we are in serious, <clears throat> serious trouble because the gap would then be three points to QPR. And I think since mid-January, we've picked up only five points in the last six weeks. And the gap, I think, from the bottom three has gone from 17 points down to six. So I think he's under quite a bit of pressure to just get these, just a couple of wins, just so we can get into a position of security where everyone can just calm down release any anxieties and we can just look forward to next season because that's where I thought we were at but we've as I say slipped out of that apathetic stage and we're now worrying a little bit and I think we're very very close to slipping into a position as you said earlier Dana we're not there yet but with the momentum of the sides behind us we quite easily could get sucked into something pretty dangerous and when I look at the Borough side and I look at Carrick I don't think we're built for it I don't think we're built for a relegation scrap I think this team was put together with the mindset of we'll push for playoffs, but if we don't get them, we'll finish mid-table and we'll keep progressing next season and it'll be small steps forward. I don't think Carrick was, I don't think he's built for it. I don't think the players, the young squad we've got, I don't think they're built for a scrap. And if we get dropped into it, I think we would struggle and we would crumble quite a bit. So for me, he's under significant pressure to just get us not over the line because there isn't a line to get over, if that makes sense, like a metaphorical line where everyone can just chill out and feel like, right, let's relax and look forward now. I don't think we can do that because we're looking over our shoulder too much. So I think he's never been under this much pressure 
He needs to get just a handful of results so we can all relax. But until that happens, yeah, the pressure's only going to ramp up. And the closer we get to the end of the season and the closer we continue to either be in this position or we continue to slip closer to the bottom three, I think it's only going to crank up. And I just don't have the the faith that we're built and prepared for that. And um, I'm not too sure if we were put into a real dogfight with the Stokes, the QPRs. I think we saw that yesterday. If we're head-to-head in a scrap, in a battle where we've got to scratch and claw our way out and get results, I don't have confidence that we have the ability to do that. So he's under massive pressure, and I just hope he can nip it in the bud sooner rather than later. I definitely agree with that. He's just not getting a lot right at the moment, is he? I mean, there's certain things you can't legislate for, like our players not being able to pass a football. But for me, Engel needs to be starting every week. And this comes from someone that doesn't think Engel is as great as people are making out to be, but I think he's better than Thomas. McGree always needs to be on the left. He's a player that's really good with space. So playing with his back to goal in that number 10 position, I just don't think suits him. He creates his own space off the left-hand side. We need to stop crowding the middle. We are far too fluid. And I think that players are wanting to attack the same spaces. So I think we could benefit from a little bit of positional discipline there I think as I've said it's too loose it's too it's just too fluid for me so I think that a little bit of positional discipline uh, could be beneficial as well but this is usually the time that where we talk about the praise in place but there is no praise in place for obvious reasons Um, instead I want to push our podcast with Matt Crooks which is already available to our Patreon subscribers and it'll be released to uh, the public on Tuesday so we'll give you a little snippet Here's the tree reflecting on beating Manchester United in the FA Cup. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go out and get steaming or smashed her out. I know I said I was going to go to the arm. I actually got me and Martin went to the arm, um, but it was shut. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> we did get that like two, but, but I was like, surely they'll keep it open for us. We're just beating United, um, but they never. Um, oh, didn't you tweet? Didn't you tweet something like keep yeah. it open or something? Yeah, keep your arm open, but I think people. Thought I was joking, but I was being deadly serious. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Everywhere was shut, so I turned around, went home, and I had like four dark fruits in my fridge. So I just drank them on my own <laughs> at my breakfast bar and went to bed. So it wasn't it wasn't as uh, crazy as you think it might have been. And then yeah, like I said, I went to went to my son's first football training the following morning. So there you go. So that was Matt Crooks talking about beating Manchester United in the Cup. If anybody wants to listen to it or watch it before Tuesday, you can subscribe to our Patreon. It's only £1.99. Let's have some fun, guys. Let's talk trivia. Are we all ready for a question in relation to Borough against Norwich? Because I've got a fairly good one if you want to rack your brains. Um, people at home, you can join in as well if you're listening in the car or walking your dog or you just, you've got your headphones on. Get ready for this question. So question this week is, can you name the goal scorers from Borough's 4-0 victory against Norwich in 2014-15? So again, can you name the goal scorers from Borough's 4-0 home victory over Norwich in the 2014-15 season? You have 30 seconds on the clock starting now. Thank you. 
time is up. Right, are we all ready for the answers? Tom, do you want to reveal yours first? Right, so I've gone for Bamford with two, Grant Ledbetter and Albert Adorma. Matt, what have you gone for? You're on mute, mate. You're on mute, Matt. <laughs> Classic. Schoolboy. Schoolboy. Um, I thought right you were ignoring me because... for a second. I went, yeah, Bamford, I recall. I put Ledbetter and I've put a Dorma. If you can see that, I've had to write it on my very mucky phone screen because I don't mm. have a pen that works. But I feel like Banford, yeah, maybe got two a Dorma and Ledbetter. Maybe. Mm, it's interesting. I thought Boston as well, but. Yeah, uh-huh. it's interesting you've both gone for a Dorma. I can confirm he did not score in that game. Banford did. Ledbetter did. So Banford got one. Ledbetter got two, including one from the spot. The third goal scorer of that night was Yannick Vilchuk. I have no rec- recollection of him scoring in that game, but apparently he did, and that was... I can only remember his goal against, was it Rotherham? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah where he did that there, little, little back heel and, and launched it into the top corner. Yeah, I can't remember him scoring in that game, but he did. So if you got that at home, well done. That was a bit of a catfish game, wasn't it? Because we did the double over them that season and then lost in the playoff finals. So it's all fantastic when that happens, doesn't it? Um, of course we did. But I know it's very typical, Borough, isn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately, we only have to wait a matter of days to watch Borough in action. Again, it's Norwich visit the Riverside on Wednesday night. So we spoke to Teesside Canary Matty Sorkel to get an insight on David Wagner's sat. Hello there, Borough Breakdown Podcast. My name is Matty Sokel. I am a Teesside-based Norwich City fan, uh, and I've been asked to preview Wednesday night's fixture at the Riverside from a Norwich perspective. And I really don't know what to expect, to be honest, because I appreciate Middlesbrough aren't in a great place at the moment. The club seems to be a little bit fractious. There's uh, obviously a lot of uproar about the season ticket prices, uh, and the results on the field haven't been particularly great either. When I saw that you'd beaten Leicester at Leicester, obviously, you know, top of the league, and you think, oh, that's a great result, that 2-1 away from home, cracking result, and you think, oh, is the, is the Middlesbrough playoff charge back on? Um, but since then, back-to-back defeats to teams that really should be beaten, uh, you know, 2-0 and 2-0 against, against Plymouth and Stoke, it's not brilliant. And so I guess a neutral might look at this and think, well, you know, Norwich are in better form and Norwich should go on to win. But... We haven't been brilliant away from home uh, of late ourselves and we've we've drawn games that really we, we should win. Uh, I was at QPR uh, a few weeks back earlier in February when we were 2-1 up and we switched off from a throw and conceded very, very soft goal out of pretty much nothing uh, and, and you know, didn't go on to win the game. We, we drew that one and, you, you know, you're coming, you're coming back up north and you think, that's two points dropped that rather than a point gained. Uh, and a similar story um, last uh, last Saturday at Blackburn. Uh, I was at Ewood Park. We went one up with a, a lovely uh, Marcelino Nunez free kick. Uh, and we didn't kill the game off. We weren't clinical enough. We weren't ruthless. And frankly, we didn't create enough. Uh, and, and we didn't deserve to win. And and that's kind of why I'm a little bit hesitant to, to predict a Norwich win on Wednesday. Because we've been good at home. We've been winning those games. Um, we beat Sunderland today uh, on the day of recording this uh, 1-0 it was probably one of the worst games of football I've seen this season to be honest with you it was an absolutely shocking footballing spectacle the conditions certainly didn't help but yeah we weren't brilliant and I hope we're a lot better on Wednesday night 
But we've been good at home. We've been winning those games and we've been drawing away. So you sort of look at it and go, well, you haven't got too much to complain about. You know, you're not losing away from home and you're winning your home games. Everything should be, you know, should be hunky-dory. But this is Norwich City. We never make things easy for ourselves. We've obviously got a, a playoff push on the go at the moment. Uh, again, at the time of recording, there's only a point between us and Hull. And uh, depending on how fixtures go, Hull play Tuesday night. Of course, we play Wednesday night. Um, we could we could finish uh, the week in, in, in that last playoff place in sixth. So my heart, of course, says a Norwich win and I'll be uh, very keen for us to avenge that terrible 5-1 defeat back up here at the, uh, at the Riverside last season on that very soggy Friday night. And uh, I'm keen for us to avenge the, the defeat in October down at Cow Road as well. Norwich used to have a decent record against Middlesbrough. Uh, obviously, the, the playoff final uh, win at Wembley. Uh, and then under Daniel Fark, we had a decent run uh, fixtures against Middlesbrough, decent results. But of late, uh, it's not been it's not been a pleasant experience being a a, a, a local Norwich City fan. Um, so hopefully, from my perspective, I appreciate you won't want to hear this, but hopefully from my perspective, Norwich can uh, Norwich can win. I never look forward to these games. It's right up there with the derby game against Ipswich for me in terms of a lack of enjoyment and nerves before the game. And my uh, whilst my heart might say you know a lovely five one victory to Norwich to. To, to avenge what happened last year. My head says that with Norwich's away form, uh, and I'm sure Middlesbrough want to put right the run of results of late, um, that it probably will be a draw. Uh, and if I was to go score specific, I'd probably say 1-1. Um, so I appreciate that's not the most exciting of previews. Um, it's quite a, it's a bit of a pessimistic preview, possibly. But um, yeah, I've seen a lot of Norwich of late. I've got most away games, and we've not quite been killing games off, but we should have enough about us to hopefully pick up a point on Wednesday night. So not that great away from home. We all know what that means. I also just can't believe that Matty is an Norwich fan. It just something's gone drastically wrong there. But uh, Tom, I mean, we'll start with Matt actually. Matt, what's your prediction for the game on Wednesday night? Ah, uh, I'm sorry to be <laughs> not not a negative ninny, but I I would be plucking crap out the sky if I was to pretend that I see any any form of something changing our fortunes turning. I mean, yeah, it might be typical, bro, that we'd beat a team like Norwich, but then it's probably typical, bro, we wouldn't. I mean, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> um, but taking into context our home form, the position we're in currently, the fact that we just seem to be just going around in the same never-ending circle. Oh, 2-0 Norwich. Sorry, guys. Mm. Sorry. Tom, are you feeling optimistic or...? Or not? Yeah, you, you know what? I'll, I'll go optimistic, and I'm going to also go one-one Norwich, same as Maddie. Um, not not even one-one Norwich, but you know what? It's going to feel like that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I can't see where the next win's coming from at the moment, but I can maybe see us getting a draw and starting to stop the rot a little bit. So, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go 1-1 and probably regret that by the time on the next podcast. I think it'll be 2-0 and it'll follow the exact same pattern as the Plymouth game. We will capitulate in the first half and then do absolutely fuck all in the second. And I tell you what, if we do concede first, that Riverside will be really toxic and it, yeah, it could get pretty nasty. Uh, well, that's it, guys. Thank you very much for joining me. And thank you to the listeners as well for tuning in, despite Borough being crap and losing again. And, you know, their season going to pot against the Potters. This has been the Borough Breakdown podcast. And that was all your Borough Match Day chatter in a pod of the Borough Breakdown.